With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's time for Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts, and myself, Doug Ireland. Ladies and gentlemen, hot off the Junior's Fever episode last year, we are having our second dose again with Mark Seidel, again with Doug J. Ireland, the voice of the OJ. And we are going to kick it off talking a little bit about the lease, but let's introduce everyone here. Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? Well, I'm not doing too bad. And Doug, how are you doing, buddy? Fresh off another busy weekend, I'm sure. Yeah, it's been a busy couple of days. Just uh, two games uh, Friday, Sunday with uh, with the Patriots, and uh, off working with my uh, provincial women's hockey league team on Saturday uh, in Brampton, the Brampton Candidates. So it's been a busy couple of days, but uh, I'm excited for this week. Uh, it's great that we're going to get to sit down and talk with Mark Seidel because I got a quick little announcement to make for anybody who's not aware. I'm going to be uh, Tuesday evening. I'll be working the GTHL top prospect game. So some of the uh, some of the best, uh, not not quite junior yet, but uh, some of the best prospects uh, under the uh, under 16th, uh, you know, from uh, from the Greater Toronto Hockey League are going to be playing uh, Tuesday night at the Scotiabank Pond. Highly recommend you check it out. Uh, it may actually be sold out already. It was uh, by this time last year. And then on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and this is particularly uh, relevant to what we're going to be talking about tonight, I'm actually going to be doing the EPA announcing for the uh, the Hockey Canada World Junior Camp. So I'm uh, I'm really excited about that. It's one of the biggest uh, things I've ever worked for in my career, and like I said, it just fits in perfectly with what we're going to talk to uh, talk to Mark about tonight. Well, we're going to look forward to hearing all of that, Doug, for next week, of course. And also, if you're in the areas, you need to get in and check out Doug. This guy is one of the best in the junior hockey world, and he is up and coming. So be sure to check out Doug announcing all of Canada's players and all of the GTHL top prospects. But before we jump into the junior stuff, guys... We are a Leaf-centric podcast, so let's pay the bills and talk a little bit about the Leafs. So, Doug, since we last talked, we were talking last week during the Philadelphia Flyers game. I'll get Mark's take on these as well. That game, at the point in time when we were done recording, it was only, I believe, a 3-1 to lead for the Philadelphia Flyers. And then in the last couple of minutes, we all know what happened. It unraveled. Before that point, I want to get both your guys' thoughts on this. I thought the Maple Leafs played a pretty good game. But then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the wheels fell off and what happened was unacceptable. But I want to know what you guys think of that game in a nutshell. I'll let you go first there, Mark. Well, I think it's – I don't disagree with you at all. I thought the Leafs played pretty well, to be honest with you. And as you said, that last kind of six minutes was, I think, disappointing for Leaf fans. But you know what? It's it's one of 82, and you know uh, it's certainly not acceptable the way they hung Freddie Anderson out to dry a little bit. But at the end of the day, whether you lose 3-1 or 6-1 is still a loss. So – you know, I think I thought they played pretty well for most of that game, and and you know could have won that game or at least gotten a point out of it, and then uh, kind of fell apart at the end. But but I, I certainly thought it was the continuing trend of them playing better as they go forward here. What about you, Doug? I mean, uh, I, I for the most part I'm going to agree. Um, it, it bothers me that one trend that's also continuing is them continuing to not play full 60 minutes of hockey. 
I feel like we, we saw a little bit more uh, of that uh, on Saturday night. Uh, Saturday, I felt it was more of a line-to-line kind of inconsistency, whereas uh, that game against the that, that 6-1 game, there was straight up, there was just guys that just stopped playing, and it, it wasn't like one or two, it was almost all of them. And you just, you can't do that at a professional level. Um, but I'll agree that there there were promising things. Absolutely, there were promising things, and you can see the the growth that's happening. You can see the changeover in systems really starting to take effect. Uh, every practice they seem to get under Keith, they seem to to look a, a little bit different and a little bit sharper. So uh, despite the 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 horrible ending, uh, I absolutely agree. There was definitely a lot of positives to take out of that six one loss. One thing that really rattled me about that six one loss, and you you hit the nail on the head, Doug. A lot of guys quit. The body language, and that was a problem under Babcock too, the body language when they went down, when they felt like it was an insurmountable thing they couldn't come back from, they instantly just seemed completely dejected and don't care or didn't want to play. And you could see the giveaways. I mean, even the James Van Recycle right at the end. I mean, there was just nothing there. But what really impressed me about the fact is after the game, the maturity shown by Austin Matthews to call himself out, the maturity and, and growth of the squad that would have just, you know, said, oh, you know, there's the next game or we look past this and we'll move forward. You know, that was the old mantra. These guys grabbed the bull by the horn and said, you know what, we're the ones who quit. We're the ones who didn't play. And what Freddie Anderson did, saying he wanted to jump in the net the next night against the Avalanche and play again, which he played lights out, in my opinion, the Avalanche game. We'll get into that in a sec. But the team seems to be coming together and battling together and wanting to fight for one another and, you know, some, that wasn't there under Babcock. These guys didn't come together. There was no camaraderie, really. It was just more, you know, systems and whatever Bab said goes. Now it seems like these guys want to battle for each other. And I want to take a moment and just think, and here you guys have to think about that. Well, guys, this is going to sound odd, but I honestly think the most important game of the year for the Leafs was the blow in Pittsburgh, when they got blown out by Pittsburgh. I, I really believe that. I think it allowed management to get a chance to please Babcock, which I think, you know, a lot of the players uh, certainly wanted. I thought it allowed them to bring Keith in and, and start to play the way that Kyle Dubas assembled his team. So, you know, it, certainly after that game, it wasn't something the fans would be excited about. And they were, I think, embarrassed about the Pittsburgh game. But but it led to a series of events that I think is going to end up being very important. And, and uh, you're seeing some of the results now, but I think you're seeing guys that want to play now. Um, I, you never want to say guys quit on Babcock, but there was a lot of guys that didn't come to the rink enjoying themselves and, and I think that's changed a little bit not to say that there aren't going to be hard days under Keith and I think Kyle said it right that there's going to be some bumps in the road and you've seen a few of those already but uh, you know I've watched this guy back in in Pembroke I watched the guy in the Sioux I've watched him with the Marlies and, and he does special things with players and I I fully expect he'll do that with the lease and I think you know that that day when, when they got blown up by Pittsburgh and started this chain of events that's going to turn out really well for them. I'm just I'm going to echo what you said. The way we lost against Pittsburgh is such a contrast. Like everybody that was upset about the Flyers lost, go back and watch the highlights from the Penguins game and you'll just the bot like and going back to what James said as well, the body language is just completely different. The Leafs came out ready to play against the Flyers. Um they just didn't finish. Whereas versus the Penguins, they were just like you said there was guys that obviously didn't want to come to the rink. They didn't want to be there and the contrast between those two should be really encouraging for how the rest of this te- uh, r- the rest of the season should go. Well, that bleeds perfectly into the Colorado Avalanche game. I mean, Nazem Kadri comes back. You have you know the video. You know he wants to get a goal. You know he wants to win. But again, you look at this game and it's one one. And the hugest blunder that was the problem 
was Jason Spezza trying to do too much. Now, Doug, you know I'm well-documented saying that Jason Spezza, you know, I didn't think had a place on this team under Babcock. I've walked that back last week and said under Keefe, it seems like he does, and the points he's putting up and the things he's able to do. But that play right there is definitely a play where you need to get out of the way. And you need to let Morgan Riley at least handle that puck or do something because that led directly to the leading goal and then eventually it was a game winner. So I'm wondering for the Colorado Avalanche game, again, another solid game by the Leafs. Freddie held them in there, made some big saves, but it looked like the systems and everything were coming to fruition yet again. So, Doug, I'll get you to start this time. What did you feel about that Colorado game? Uh, I I don't like I didn't like the amount of focus that there seemed to be purely on uh, Nazem Kadri. Like the Colorado Avalanche are a really good hockey team. Like straight up, uh, they're they're balanced more than anything. Uh, I wouldn't say that like you know they have a they have their one or two standout players. But if you if you were to line their roster up with the Leafs, what you'll notice is the, the their back end is just much. I feel like it's much more stronger and there's much more experience than we have. And I, I that game. I feel like that's you could you could see that the the way that game went, uh, the way they they followed up uh, checks, uh, the 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 fact that they had high skill guys and gritty grindy guys like Kadri. It's not like Kadri was the only guy out there that was bashing and crashing from Colorado, and I just feel like they're they're a much more well rounded, much more balanced team. Uh, yeah, I I wasn't I wasn't too upset with how the Colorado get. If there's a right way to lose a hockey game, that's pretty close to the way that should be, in my opinion. Yeah, I think guys. I think. The, yeah, I just. I think you know. It, just with the Spets and and Riley incidents. I mean, it, it is such a fast game, and it it literally comes down to you know half a second where Jason Spets is, you know decides to stand there and try and sort of play with his feet, and and it goes the other way, and that's just the way the game goes. And sometimes you know those decisions kind of come back and haunt you. And, and yeah. I think you know if Freddie stops him on that breakaway, nobody says anything, but it turns out to be the game winner, and you know everybody's a little bit critical, but. You know, I think Jason Spezza, you talk about a guy that's night and day from Babcock to Keith. I mean, I think you've seen what, what he can do and what he's done. And, you know, that's an unfortunate night. But, again, I, I thought they played well. I thought, you know, that that game was an example. I mean, if they ended up playing, you know, obviously they wouldn't play Colorado until the Stanley Cup final. But if they played a team like Colorado, that could be a seven-game series. Yep. Freddie would have to be good. But they were right there with them. Now, you know, I agree with you. I think Colorado is a little more balanced. I think that's what happens when your, your best player is making 6.3 and and you know, not make the big money that the least top four. So they're allowed to be a little more balanced because they have some more cap room to work it now. In two or three years from now, when those deals look good, when guys are making 15 and 16 a year with a, a larger cap, you'll see the Toronto end up being a little more balanced. But you know, in this in the first year of these deals, kind of thing, it it makes it tough for sure. But uh, Colorado is a hell of a team. I mean, you know, if you're picking one of the top three teams to win the cup right now, I think they're going to be one of those teams. So you know, I thought they they played well. It was an unfortunate incident, but you know, if they'd have won that game three one. You know, I wouldn't have been surprised, and, and you know, by losing it, it just comes that way. But uh, again, you keep seeing the positive steps that are are leading the forward under Sheldon. I mean, you you want to see a player make a mistake because he's trying too hard. That's the type of mistake you want players to make, right? Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, and that's you know, Jason Spezza, one of you know his, his biggest attributes is hockey IQ. And at that second, you know, you can never get inside his brain. But I think he's thinking, you know, I'm just going to kind of stop this. He sees Riley steps back and. You know, it goes the other way. So it's unfortunate, but I mean, that's that's not a guy that's 
you know, there's some players, certainly in this league, you know, maybe the Leafs even, that you would say, you know, lack of effort and it should just got out of the way. I don't think that's the case with Jason Spets at all. I think he just tried to do too much and yep. it cost him a goal and a breakaway. Yeah, it just, it's an unfortunate play that happens. Like I said, I just think at that instance myself, he was just trying to do a little bit too much and under the gun and that happened on the power play, especially for himself, you know, trying to make a little bit more of a name, a little bit more noise to keep himself in that spot and in the lineup when things start to shuffle back out because you guys got guys like Moore coming back and then obviously you got Marner and everyone else back in the lineup. So you never know who's going to be in or who's going to be out, especially when Andreas Janssen comes back and you're under that crap crunch. I mean, you look at the fact that if it wasn't for Marner getting hurt, Jason Spezza would probably be a Winnipeg Jet right now and not Nick Shore. So, you know, I guess you can say Spezza can thank Marner for his lucky stars right now, that he's with the Leafs and everything's going well now under Keefe. But just to talk about Colorado for one quick second, they are a team right now, guys, that are going to be really challenged in the next little bit. If you look at their injuries, you got Johnson down, Wilson down, Kadri is now out, Kale McCarr, and their starting goaltender in Philip Rubauer. So this is a team now that's going to have to lean on their depth a little bit, and we'll see what they're really made of. But they're big guys up front, as you mentioned, Mark, taking less money, and they're all back together for a, a little bit of a run. And now the rumors are swirling about Taylor Hall joining their squad. So there will be a team to watch out this year for sure. And I guess the uh, the next game on the docket, guys, right quick, we have the Maple Leafs against the reigning defending Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. All the feels going into this game. And the Maple Leafs come out and they absolutely jump on the puck and make this a fun game. Let's go, Mark. What do you think of this game? Were you excited when the Leafs jumped out, or were you just thinking, oh, my God, are they going to blow this? Well, boys, I hate to tell you, this is a guest on your show, but I was in northern Quebec watching Alexis Lafreniere <laughs> light up the Rouen Aranda Husky. So I didn't see the game. Now, I talked to a couple before I came on tonight. I called today to a couple of pro scouts that were at the game, and, and you know, they told me that it was kind of the way the Leafs want to play. Um, you know, certainly in that first period, they said they, they were playing uh, – you know, possession hockey and making things happen and, and their offensive creativity is coming forward. And I think, you know, when you walk into St. Louis against that team, you saw what they did last year in the playoffs. You know, the biggest criticism yep. on the Leafs and of Kyle Dubas has been, you know, you're not physical enough, you're not big enough, you're not tough enough, you're going to get pushed around by St. Louis and Boston and then those teams. And, and, you know, I think that was an example of that game. And I saw the highlights of, of the Leafs being able to do what Kyle's asked for and, and you know, challenge with speed, um, challenge with puck possession and not have to get into fights with them, but, but certainly skate and, and play the game properly the way you want to. And I think as a result that, you know, it's arguably one of the best games of the year, I think. Oh yeah. What do you think, Doug? Yeah. Where you at with this one? I'll, I'll echo that. Uh, that's, that's again, we're just going back to the, the way the Leafs are, are even winning games. We're talking about, you know, the right way to lose a game. That's the right way to win a hockey game. Uh, there was as, as much as uh, I, I mentioned earlier, the, the, in some of the inconsistent effort from some of the lines, other lines stepping up the the Marner uh, Marner Tavar, Tavares uh, Hyman line, like they were they looked like they hadn't even lost a step since they were together last season. It was really nice to see that reunited. And then what I really liked uh, from Sheldon Keefe was him kind of throwing those guys around the lineup. Like he was taking the guys that were having success, that were were having like games that weren't frustrating, for lack of a, a better phrase. It was taking the guys that weren't getting frustrated and moving them into the lines that kind of were and trying to get the other lines working. And I just, I really like that. Um, I think we saw Tavares on like three different sets of, of lines that game. 
Uh, and I, again, I, I, the same thing with Hyman was playing with like two or three other sets of players throughout the game. And I wouldn't call it line juggling so much as just slotting those guys in that were having success and moving them around. And I just, I like to see, I like to see that. It wasn't the, the type of line juggling that we saw from Babcock. It seemed to be a bit more, less, less throwing, you know, a whole bunch of paint at the wall and seeing what sticks and more, just more of a, a balanced uh, decision on, on how to, how to make certain lines work, how to get certain players working and try to, to spread some of the wealth, so to speak. Well, and I think, guys, one thing that I know from Sheldon Keith from watching for so many years is he's got an innate ability. And I would say, you know, as, you know, heralded a coach as Mike Babcock is and, and some of the other big-time coaches, he's got an innate ability to feel where players are going. Um, and he rides them when he does. If he feels the guy's not going, he doesn't embarrass them. But, you know, he, he tries to work him in some other way. But he really has, back to the Pembroke days and certainly in the suit with the Greyhounds, if he gets a feeling that a guy's going – you know, or should you know double shift or, or play with another set of couple wingers to try and get something else going? Uh, he really has a good feel for that and, and has a lot of success. I think at the Marlies he did that. You saw that the year they won the Calder Cup, he was was very and everybody wants to say he's juggling lines, but I think what he's trying to do is find combinations and and made combinations work that uh, it accentuated the guy's strengths. So that's one thing I think as Leafs fans you can watch and, and certainly appreciate it. It's, I agree entirely to make Babcock throw everything at the wall and see if something works here. With Keith, there's more of a method to the madness. Yeah, uh, there's more analytics involved in how he's doing it and why he's doing it. But but he really has that feel for players, and, and uh, I think is is really really good at that. It's really good when you can see a a coach that was that had that type of method at lower levels because he did the same thing with the Marlies, right? And the fact that he was just able to carry right on doing that with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he hasn't lost a step at all. That's that's a really good sign. I that's like you know that's what when you know, uh, a coach comes into the NHL. That's the type of stuff you look for and you and you you want to see because that's really going to determine his success long term in the NHL. So I'm yeah I'm enthusiastic uh, for even more Sheldon Keefe. Every game that he gets uh, a couple more practices in and gets to know this team better and better. I think it's just we're going to see more and more and more of that. What I like about this fact of Sheldon Keefe coming from the Marlies and coming up, I've said this to you, Doug, many times, and Mark, you probably heard this too. You know the fingerprints of Sheldon Keith and Kyle Dubas are all over the Maple Leafs and all over the Marlies, but Keith has had a lot of these guys on the Marlies already. So he knows how to push their buttons. He knows what gets them going. He knows when guys are feeling it and when they're not, like you were saying, Doug, but he also has players as every coach does that he likes. And one guy he really likes is Pierre Engvall. And I've been very excited about this guy. They call him daddy long neck, I guess is his nickname. But if you watch that guy, and the pass to Hyman on the shorthanded goal is wicked. He's awesome on the penalty kill. He's a bit of a bigger guy. Hopefully, he learns how to use that body. But Sheldon Keefe knows a lot of these guys inside and out. And he knows how to get them going, which should get the guys who are already a part of this squad excited because they then know what to expect and how to get it rolling. And if you look at the special teams for these full Thunder Keefe, the penalty kill is now shot up and the power play is now clicking at a good rate. So if you start looking at those, those are positives that you can extrapolate and say, okay, over a bigger sample size, these are things that are going to help the Maple Leafs win games. And it's all underneath his systems. And it finally looks like, you know, Hackstall and um, Mr. McFarland are getting the chance to actually run their penalty kill and their power play without someone over top of them saying, no, this is the way it's going to be. It seems like everybody's working as a cohesive unit and everything's starting to flow and there's more fluidity for the Maple Leafs, which is exciting, like Doug said. 
Well, and I think, guys, not to keep harping on the Babcock thing, I, I listen to your guys' podcast when you talk about when he was let go, but I think, you know, in, in this game, you see it over the years, things are very cyclical. and You go from one, a hard-ass coach, to a player's coach, but, you know, this is really that extreme, uh, probably as extreme as I've ever seen. I mean, you see a guy like Mike Babcock, who it's no secret. I mean, he's a hard guy to play for and, and certainly had some deficiencies as a person, I think. Um, to, to Sheldon Keefe, who all those guys want to play for. I mean, just you think of the shore thing playing in Colorado that game uh, when he scored, um, you know, I think that was, that's the kind of stuff the players realize and appreciate. So you've gone from a guy who they hated coming to the rink. A lot of them. I mean, Morgan Riley really liked Mike Babcock, but to a guy now that's willing to to do what it takes, he'll, he'll take the bullets for him. If he has to, he's going to put them in the best chance for success. He's not going to embarrass anybody. And you get the buy-in from those guys. So, you know, Pierre Engvall, when he first got to the Marlies, I'm not entirely sure he could spell penalty kill. And now you watch him as an Austin Hawkins guy, and he's a great penalty killer. He uses his length, he uses his feet, uh, takes lanes away, stick in the right place. Like, And that's all coaching. And now it's credit to him because he's he's enabled himself to coach and work to get better. But again, that's, you know, you guys talk about familiarity, and there's a guy that Sheldon Keith took from from not being anywhere close to a penalty killer to being now a National Hockey League penalty killer. So Engvall's got confidence in Keith. Keith's got confidence in him, and, and that's how you get a team that ultimately becomes, you know, a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, I like I like the sounds of that. <laughs> Just that last Stanley <laughs> Cup contender and Leafs in the same sentence. It's really nice to to hear that again, I got to say. Well, the crazy thing about the standings is, guys, before we, we start jumping into the juniors talk here is you look at the standings, and if you were to look at just the Metro, the Leafs would have absolutely no shot. If you're chasing the wild card, you're five or six points out. That's a huge hill to climb. But you look at the Atlantic Division, I think right now, if I remember correctly, we're only two points out of second place in the Atlantic. So, I mean, it's crazy to think that the Leafs, as sputtering as they've been, still have the opportunity to have home ice advantage in the playoffs and, and be second place in the Atlantic. We all know that Tampa's probably going to wake up and start winning games themselves, but it's it's fun to think, like Mark just said, about the Stanley Cup, but it's also it's a relief because you keep hearing all these broadcasters throw out all these large numbers where the Leafs have to win 44 and something to get to X amount of points. How about we just you know enjoy the fact that the Atlantic, other than Boston, of course, is a little bit weaker and we may actually get into the playoffs, not have to play Boston in the first round, and be able to uh, maybe make some noise this year. That is exciting for me right now. Well, and I, I don't have a dog in the fight, guys, but I, I'm telling you right now, uh, from my doing this a long time, 20 years, I mean, I, if I was a betting man, there, I would put money on anything I have that the Leafs will make the playoffs. I just think that this, this combination will get them there. Now, you know, we can debate whether I think they've got what it takes to win a Stanley Cup I I, I still believe it's hard to win four rounds the way they want to play, but you know people talk about they've got to win the next so many and so many games to get to 100 points. And I, you know, I, I think it's early. I mean, you saw St. Louis, and not that anybody wants to use a St. Louis model, but they were dead last in the league in January last year, and Craig Rube turned them around. And, and I honestly think Sheldon will have the same kind of effect on the Leafs. And so I think making a playoffs, they've got a lot of work to do certainly. But I, I it's not something if I was a Leafs fan, I'd lay up at night thinking. You know, are we going to make the playoffs? I, I don't think there's any doubt they'll make the playoffs. And now the success they'll have there, that'll be a different story. But, you know, I think this all this talk and certainly the non- mainstream media talking about, you know, they got to win all these games. They have to win. Every time they lose, oh, my God, they've dropped another point behind. I mean, just relax. They've got a ton of games to go here. Um, they'll get rolling. And, and I think making the playoffs is something that uh, I don't think will be a challenge for them. 
Well, two things that I'm going to say, and I've said this uh, on the past couple episodes, is um, the Leafs don't have to win. Uh, or I'm sorry, pardon me. If the Leafs can win, uh, like, you know, five, five out of seven, eight out of ten, you know, if, if you're in a position where a five-game win streak, a ten-game win streak can solve and or fix your season, then you have, you have no business uh, counting this team out. That's certainly where we are. The other analogy I'm going to throw in there is uh, if you're running away from a bear, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than the guy that you're next to. <laughs> and that's, I feel like that's where the Leafs are right now. You know, I, I feel like we're, we can, we have a good shot of outplacing uh, the Canadians and the Sabres for sure in the standings, possibly Florida as well. I feel like those are all teams that we can outplay uh, over a stretch of like, you know, 30, 40 games, whoever there are, there are, where are we at? 31 games. So about 40, 50, 40, 50, something like that. 50 games, I think. 51 games, whatever it is. You know, we could we can outplay those teams in that stretch. That's all we really have to do. Like you're talking, uh, I think the Panthers have uh, 35 points, and then uh, we're at 32, if I'm recalling correctly. So you're talking about a three point gap between us and the team in second place in our division. There's there's nothing to be worried about here. Not as of yet. I think there's a lot of hockey left, like you said. And I don't know why you chose a bear. Come on now, the Boston Bruins, <laughs> our big bag nemesis. You had to choose a bear of all animals. Come on. I didn't invent Anyways. the analogy. <laughs> Uh, so, like I said, we're going to be jumping into the junior talk, but the Leafs do head west this week. They have games against the Canucks, the Flames, and the Oilers. I am looking for the Leafs to go 2-1 and one on this trip, probably picking up wins in Vancouver and Edmonton. Wondering quickly, put your prediction caps on, boys. What do the Leafs do out west this week? I think they get uh, four or six. I don't know if they'll go. They'll get two wins. They may get you know two OT losses in the win, but I think they get four to six again, which is you know trending the right way and and putting them in you know gaining spots uh, or points in the standings on other teams. When you a lot of teams make that Western trip, it's it's a tough trip for them. But I expect you know even having a day of practice today, I talked to a guy with the Leafs and he was saying they had an unbelievable day of practice and those things will bear fruit. You'll see it uh, maybe tomorrow night, um, but certainly on the course of the trip. So you know I'd expect four points for sure on the weekend or by the end of the weekend. Uh, yeah, I I like the sounds of that. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna say they're probably their toughest opponent is going to be uh, the uh, um, part, um hold on a second. What is it? The Oilers, Vancouver, and the Flames, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, I I think they're tough. They're probably gonna have a tougher time with uh, the Canucks than the Oilers. I feel like we're just we're better matched against the Oilers than we are against uh, the Canucks. And and also that just that that first game that's gonna be played just uh, so much later than they're used to. I feel like they'll have a tougher time with with that game than the uh, than the Edmonton game uh, a few days later. So what is it? Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they got they by the time Saturday rolls around, you know, they'll I think they'll be in a a bit better shape with the uh, the jet lag finally catching up. I think the the first game against Vancouver, you've got the long travel distance, the extra long uh, flight, you know, all the way across the country, and then uh, just the ten o'clock start Eastern time. I think those will those will factor in, and I I expect to see them struggle a little bit the first game, and then kind of pick it up against Calgary, and see that come all the way around against Edmonton. So I'll I'll agree with Mark there. Four six four six is certainly a good aim. You know, I'm pretty sure if they do that for the rest of the season, they'll they'll outpace any of the numbers that the uh, the analysts <laughs> are uh, claiming that we need. So I'm happy with that. All right, well, let's jump into some other things we'll be happy about with this Toronto Maple Leaf team. Now, we do have some uh, players from the Maple Leaf organization going to be participating in the World Junior Hockey Championships that are going on. Yes, this is junior 
Fever Part 2. So we are jumping in right now. So hot off the wire right now, Nick Robertson is going to play for the USA World Junior Camp. Mark, as a junior guy, what do you think of Nick Robertson? What can he bring for Team USA? And what can Leafs fans expect to see out of this guy at the camp? Well, I think Leaf fans would be excited watching him. I mean, he's a guy last year for the draft. We had him 16 overall. You know, you saw where the Leafs got him. So, obviously, you know, we, we think and certainly I think tremendous value where they got him. He's a guy that's going to score. Um, I think he's going to put up some big numbers. I'm not sure who he's going to play with yet. I don't think they've really talked about that yet. They'll have some, some exhibition games and things to figure that out. But this is a guy that is a pure offensive machine. I mean, he is. He has done things in Peterborough that are that are pretty incredible, uh, and I think with that American team with some high high end talent, you know he he's like his brother the his brother that was in Niagara again last year in Kingston before that. The, the better players they play with, the better they play because there's such high IQ and their ability to to create offense. So you know I would expect by the end of the tournament, fans who don't really watch a lot of junior hockey and aren't familiar with Nick Robertson will be more excited about the future with Nick Robertson uh, for sure. Now, is it concerning to anyone that SDA, the high praise last year, signing the rookie deal, goes back, didn't do too well last year, but is tearing it up this year with Nick Robertson? He did not get an invite to his national team. Wondering if that's a hit against the kid, or is it just a guy needs to keep working, Mark? Well, as much as I just told you how much I really, really like Robertson, I wasn't the biggest fan of SDA. Um, certainly, you know, at least got him a little later in the draft, so I think that helped him a little bit. But, you know, this is a guy that doesn't surprise me. Um, again, he's he's a totally offensive player. doesn't have a lot of size, obviously. And I think the Russian team likes to go with size, bigger, stronger. Um, you know, he's 19, but they like to go with those older guys that are bigger and heavier to play against. So I wasn't shocked he didn't get moved to, to that roster. And, uh, you know, he'll continue on at Peterborough. They're going to load up here at the deadline. I think he'll have a deep run into the playoffs. So, Leaf fans will be able to get a chance to see what he's all about. And, you know, he's still, as much as they signed him to a contract, I, I believe he's at least three or four years away from playing in the National League. You know, he's going to have to play in the American League for a couple of years for sure. So, you know, I, I'm not real shocked by it. But, uh, again, he's, he certainly is having a great year in the OHL. I mean, one thing I'd point out about, uh, about uh, Dereg Ashinsev is that he uh, he's an assist guy. Uh, I, I think every all four of his seasons in the OHL, it's he's heavily leaned. I think right now, here I could pull it up right now. He's got 36 assists and four goals so far in 28 games played, and uh, it's actually uh, he's he's definitely on pace for a big improvement from last year, where he was uh, 40 assists and six goals in 62 games. So he's definitely stepped it up. But at the same time, I feel like it's uh, a lot easier to get a ton of assists in the uh, the OHL or or even the AHL than the NHL. I just I just feel like you know it's it's easier to find an extra assist here and there. And get yourself involved in plays, uh, just given how much like uh, kind of higher paced it tends to be with all the young guys skating around. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like you're talking, definitely picking about talking about an increased pace when you get to the NHL. I just feel like there's more room uh, at the at the OHL and AHL level for guys to pick up those assists, and that it's much tougher to do that at an NHL level. So I'm, yeah, I'll uh, I'll echo what what Mark said about uh, SDA. Well, another player that is going to be representing, uh, I guess you can call the Maple Leaf organization in the juniors tournament is uh, Miko Kokkonen. I hope I'm saying it right. Um, he's looking to be a middle pairing defenseman for Finland in the tournament. Um, he can contribute a little bit of offense. I'm wondering, Mark, what you think of uh, Kokkonen, Kokkonen um, in the tournament and what can we expect to see out of this guy for Finland? 
is he going to be a key component for these guys, or is he just going to be more of a depth piece going forward? He'll be a piece. Uh, you know, he's not – he's kind of a jack-of-all-traits kind of thing. He can create some offense. He, he has uh, – although he didn't have huge numbers, he put up as an 18-year-old in, in Finland last year. It was pretty impressive. Um, I don't think he's a pure offensive guy, per se. Uh, he's more of a, of a guy, you know, as you say, in that middle pair. They, Finland's going to have a really good team again, which seems to be the norm these days. You know, and I think their back end is going to have some guys on there where they're playing a little bit ahead of him. But, you know, this is a kid that will win. He'll have a chance to play against his peers and, and kids uh, around his age. So I think that'll be good for him. Um, so, you know, I, I think he'll be a, a part of that team. I don't think we'll get out of this tournament, you know, on January 7th, and, and Leaf fans will be going crazy over how good Kokenham played. I mean, he'll be kind of a guy that, that fills a role for that team and, and plays in that middle pairing. But, again, we'll gain, gain valuable experience and certainly the opportunity for least brass to watch him a little bit more at that championships against his peer group and, and determine, you know, where he fits in the future. Hmm. All right. So one player that I really want to ask you both about, and before we say what impact he can have for team Sweden, I want to know if you think the Toronto Marlies are going to let Rasmus Sandin do what Timothy Lilligren did and go play in the world junior championships. Do you think it is a smart idea? I think it is great for his growth, great for his confidence, great to give him a little bit more exposure to a bigger stage and give him the opportunity maybe to get a gold medal or a silver. I know we're Canada here, but we know Sweden is a big team and a strong team in these tournaments. So do you, I'll start with you, Doug, do you think the Marlies are going to let Sandin go over and play and represent team Sweden? Uh, Yes, I think they will for the reasons you just stated. It's just, it's such an opportunity for, for guys and you want to you want to keep him happy in the Leafs organization. Um, I, I I think at the end of the uh, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to it's going to be a, like a Dubas decision more than anything, because uh, they're going to be probably you know speculating about whether or not he, there's already speculation that he's going to be coming up to the Leafs. You know, even in the next few weeks again. Uh, so I think that that's a great opportunity to see kind of where he's at, how much he's developed being uh, being down in the Marlies for the past little bit. Yeah, no, I I think the I think they'll let him go. And I agree that it's uh, definitely going to be – it's one of those uh, chances to play in a high-stakes kind of environment that you just – doesn't come around too often. You're like, you know, you got to hope – you got to make the – first, you got to hope you make your team – that your team makes the uh, the playoffs. Then you got to hope that, you know, you get into a situation where there is some kind of high-stakes thing because, you know, all too often teams either just kind of collapse as soon as they get in or uh, or vice versa. They kind of waltz through the playoffs and, until they come up against, you know, and you may only get three or four really tough games – that uh, every game at the World Juniors is, is going to be tough. Uh, we've seen in the past some of the, the big score gaps that tend to happen. That's, that happens, that's happened less and less as parity's gotten better and better. But the flip side of that is that you're going to come up against, potentially come up against a team that's much, much better than you, or you're going to be evenly matched. And in either of those cases, that's, that's tough hockey that uh, provides a really good uh, learning experience in either case. So, yeah, I think they'll let them go. I don't see a reason not to. What do you think? Well, guys, I, I, I'm torn on it. I'll be honest with you. I, there's certainly pros and cons to each side. Um, certainly let them go down. He's going to let them dominate and you know, play at that level. I'm going to take the opposite view. I don't think they're going to let him go to play for Team Sweden. Um, I just think there's a couple factors. One, and it was just mentioned about the fact that he may be getting called up. So if, if you release him to play for Sweden, he's basically three weeks where he's out of the, he, he won't be called up at all. He's in the Czech Republic. That's the second factor. I think, you know, if this was in North America, it's a little different story. The, you know, the travel to Czech Republic and back. And I think at the end of the day, the Leafs are grooming him, obviously, to be a big part of their back end. And I think they're going to think, 
uh, the opportunity to play for a new coach with the Marlies and play that, you know, I think they're going to play four or five games at least while the junior championships are going on. I just have a feeling they're going to say, you know what, he's been there, he's done that. Uh, what's he going to do with going prove, you know, as a 19-year-old, he showed in the NHL at times this year that, you know, he's a very, very good defenseman. You know, from a junior guy standpoint and then, you know, the World Junior Championships, I'd like to see them let him go. But if they don't, I can certainly see the reasons why, and I think those are some of them. And, and if the defenseman goes down right now for them, uh, you know, it's probably Sandy getting the call up. And, you know, I think him and Lilgren have been unbelievable together with the Marlies. So, you know, I think they'll continue on with that. And uh, uh, just the fact that it's three weeks where he's completely out of the contest if they want to bring him up. So I'm going to say they don't let him go, but I certainly hope they do. Uh, sort of hedging my bets on it, but I, I'd like to see it. But I could see this, the Dubas and and uh, the administration saying, no, we're going to keep him with the Marlies and let him continue to develop there. Well, you know, I agree to an extent where it's a battle. You know, you want to let someone that you might be able to use this year, but if you can let him grow, and we know Dubas is all about growth, and Dubas is like this guy from the Sioux through the Marlies and now to the NHL whenever he gets there again, which I think, yes, he will be back up. Doug, I'll walk back in another thing I said about a player. It seems to be happening weekly now. Um, I do think this guy will go to the junior championship. I do think he will play on that stage and he will grow from it. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see Mark, but I, I really hope he does get that opportunity. Uh, if it's nothing more than like Doug said, to keep him happy, keep him interested and keeping him getting more opportunities. So we shall see. But now it is the, the piece du jour team Canada. The selection camp is on. Uh, they're going to be having games. Doug, obviously, you've announced that you are going to be calling some of those games. So I'm wondering, right off the hop, we'll get into to Mark here, and Doug, I'll echo, let you echo afterwards. What is your expectation for this squad? Um, what do you feel about their schedule? And how do you think the brain trust is going to form this team once it's all said and done? Well, I think the schedule is tough. I think they've got a very tough division. Um, so I, I think that Boxing Day game against the Americans, you know, arguably might be two best teams in this tournament playing each other on opening day, which is strange. Usually it's a, you know, usually New Year's Eve day and the teams have had a chance to play, you know, other games against weaker competition and get ready for it. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Now, you know, I, I don't think anybody's worried about missing the medal around here. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I think the overriding uh, thought with me, guys, is because the Hunter brothers are running this show, Mark and Dale. Uh, I really think you're going to see a heavily slanted OHL group. Um, they like to have go guys that they know. They certainly know the OHL a lot better than they know the West and the East, obviously, just by, by virtue of being in London. And, you know, I expect they're going to be a skilled team. They're going to be a fast team. Um, you know, their back end will be not spectacular. You know, I think Ty Smith will, will open some eyes certainly for them and, and create some offense and do some things. But, you know, I think there'll be a steady back end that, that makes a good first pass and gets out of their own. Uh, and it'll come down to Olivier Rodrigue, you know, how well he can play. Uh, he's going to be the starter. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but so I expect you see a fast skill team and, uh, you know, a defense that isn't flashy but effective. And if Rodrigue can play the way he's been playing, I think, you know, they've got a very, very good chance of winning the gold medal. Um, so I work in the OGHL, and there are some uh, there's some former OGHL players that have been invited to the, uh, to this, uh, to the World Junior Camp. I just want to kind of run through them real quickly. Um, one guy I particularly want to focus on is uh, Quinton Byfield. Uh, 
He only, I think he only played one game, maybe two games with the. It was one game. It was yeah, just one game right. with the Newmarket Hurricanes, but I it, like that game sticks out in my brain. Uh, whenever you see a player that's just you know head and shoulders above everyone on the ice, and is also you know a year younger than two years younger than like the, even the youngest players that are there, uh, that just that leaps out in your mind. And I can recall that game very well, and just how impressed I was with his stick handling ability and his skating ability, and just in general. Um, to me, he seems like a a lock in for the to be on the team, and I'm just wondering if uh, if if you agree with that, Mark uh, Quinton Byfield. I do. I think uh, certainly living in Sudbury, I'm on the road lots, but certainly seeing him probably more than anybody. Um, you know, with our latest rankings, we have Byfield at one and Lafreniere at two. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I went this weekend to Northern Quebec to chase Alexis Lafreniere around and watch a bunch of games with his before he left for the World Junior Camp. And, uh, he's a special player. I mean, he really is a special player, but so is Quentin Byfield. I think, you know, you've seen what he's done in the OHL this year. He's dominated offensively. Uh, his skating ability in that Olympic ice is going to be phenomenal at 6'4", the way he moves. You know, and I think his awareness away from the puck is going to be good. So he can play down on the lineup if he has to. If, if Dale Hunter decides he wants to play him a little further down the lineup, uh, he can do that. So, you know, I, I 100% agree with you. I think he's a lock for this team. Um, Hunter Mark or Dale would never admit that right now, but I think by Friday you'll see that he'll be on this roster, and, and I think we'll show the world really what he has. I mean, playing in Sudbury is a little less flashy than playing in London or Cologne or some of the big-name franchises, but you know, I think by the end of this, guys are going to wonder, and, and they'll start to see, hopefully they'll start to see what, what we see in that he is right there with Alexis Lafreniere. Lafreniere will be featured more, um, but you know, people have to remember Alex Lafreniere is, 10 months older, almost a full year older than Byfield. And um, so, you know, there, there's, that has to be taken into consideration. So, you know, Lafreniere will be featured more, but I think Byfield will really be a key part of this team. And, and I have no doubt he'll be on it uh, come Friday. Well, the good thing about Byfield and guys like Byfield and Foote and Gru, Holloway and Lavoie, you know, these guys here, they are going to be your power forward kind of group. They are the bigger guys. They're going to carry that bulk of the load. They're going to be the battle-ready, tested guys. Um, I want to give a quick shout-out to... Uh, uh, Marner Titavares, um, Taco on Twitter. He did a great breakdown for us, um, basically about the players and giving a little blurb about each guy and where they're going to fit in on this squad. And those guys I mentioned, like Byfield and Foot and Grew and Holloway and Lavoie, they th- those will be your solid players. Those will be the guys that you go and get the puck. And like you said, Mark, these guys aren't known as locks for the team yet, but they're going to be by the end of the week. There's some guys that you know are going to make this squad. And uh, I'm wondering for you, on the back end, guys that are going to be making this team, I'm wondering if you have Jared McIsaac on there. He's just fresh back from an injury with the Halifax Mooseheads. I'm wondering if he's done enough to be able to make the squad um, in your eyes there. Yeah, I think he's a lock. I really do. I think uh, he's, you know, some of the guys that are locks in that back end, I think are Byron, Ty Smith, McIsaac, uh, Bernard Docker. I think those are four guys that are going to be locks. You know, I think that uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, Kaylin Addison is, is a smaller defenseman and can really skate. Um, I think, and he plays the right side. Kevin Ball is a guy I know the Hunters like a lot. Uh, doesn't skate quite as well on that Olympic ice, and he's a left shot. So, you know, they, I think they want to try to get as close to even with lefts and rights as they can. So that'll be a battle. And I think Thomas Harley is a guy that's right in that mix, just the way he skates. And, you know, I wasn't in love with him in his draft year. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I was dead wrong. Uh, the, the work he's had done with... Uh, with Mississauga, uh, it, it's been phenomenal. And, and the way he skated, I don't think 
you know, anybody saw him going to Dallas and, and really, you know, make a solid effort to make that team this year. So I think he's kind of a guy that's an outsider that, you know, I think people aren't thinking a lot about, but I, I think he's got a real good chance the way he skates. And then lastly is the Drysdale kid. Again, because it's an Olympic ice surface, the way that kid can skate and move the puck, you know, I think he's probably the seventh defenseman. I certainly have him as a seventh defenseman on my list right now. Um, but again, they want to play fast and, and Drysdale and, and guys like Harley are guys that can certainly do that. And, uh, um, you know, pick up the pace of play, get the puck up to the forwards, and then jump in and join if they have to. I'm just well, Drysdale is definitely a guy that likes to shoot, so he's going to be a guy like you said to pick up that offensive pace for sure. And just and I'm just going to point out because you know I'm heavily biased here. Another kid that uh, played a game in the OJHL. I want to mention one more OJHL player that's going to be there, and that's uh, goaltender Hunter Jones. Uh, this this guy this kid actually played a significant mm-hmm. amount of time in the OJ. He uh, I think it was 14 games. Uh, and he had a, I know for a fact he had, uh, I think it was 2.7 something uh, goals against average, and a save percentage was 9 uh, 9 1. I, think it's, I can't remember if it was 9 14 in the OHL or the OJHL, but he had solid stats. Uh, and I'm just wondering what your perspective on, on uh, him is, and if you see him uh, finding his way maybe on as a backup goaltender for, uh, for this team. Yeah, you know what? I can't give you really any insight. I talked to Hockey Canada the other day about it, and, and you know, but they don't ever want to go on the record with too much, but I mean, I kind of got the sense of talking to them that, you know what, this is going to come down to this week, how guys play, yeah. um, you know, at the camp and stuff. I think Rodrigo could be the starter. I don't think there's any doubt about that, you know, and whether it becomes Hunter Jones, the backup or, you know, Nick Dawes probably has the inside track just because he's played so well in Guelph, which, you know, the hunters have seen him play a lot. Um, so I think there's that case that can be made, but you know, the, the Hoffman kid out from West has, has had a great year too. So I'd love to say, you know, I, I think Hunter Jones has is, is, been really good for Peterborough and is a really good player. Uh, I Right now, I couldn't say whether I think he's going to be the second goalie. You know, they're bringing three, so, you know, he's he's obviously got the 66% chance of being one of those two guys, but um, he's certainly in the mix. But I don't think there's any guy in the front leading right now except for Rodrigue. I can, I'll, I, you know what, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, getting to see him play in person. Also, again, going back to, to Byfield, just all these guys in general, Lafreniere, the chance to see them play in person up close on an Olympic sized drink that they have in Oakville. I'm just, I'm totally psyched. Uh, the, the games will be open to the public. So anybody who wants to attend, there's, uh, there's information uh, up on the Hockey Canada website, hockeycanada.ca. Highly recommend coming to check it out if you're in the area and you have to, some time. It's, it's going to be, uh, going to be excellent hockey. They're going to be facing off against uh, university uh, kids. I believe it's the U20 University All-Stars or a bunch of All-Stars from from that age group at least. And it should be uh should be really good. Uh I'm I uh, it's going to be one of my biggest events that I've ever worked and I'm just to me it's a little surreal that we're sitting here talking about the World Juniors and I'm going to be there like watching it in person and saying these kids names like <laughs> I'm I'm excited to say the least. Um, one thing that uh, I want to mention. So for those those of you that don't know, uh, right now taking place is the Team Canada East and Team Canada West are participating in something known as the World Junior A Challenge, which is uh, kind of a step down from the the National World Junior uh, clubs and and tournament. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of players there from the OJHL, including a guy named uh, Ryan Teverberg, and I've been chomping at the bit wanting to ask what your thoughts are on Teverberg, Mark. And I just, I had, I had to take well, this opportunity to ask you about him. Yeah, no problem. It's funny. I went and uh, watched him a few times and I went and watched the prospect game at 16 mile in Oakville uh, a couple Saturdays ago. And uh, he was good. I mean, it was a bit of a choppy game, like a lot of all-star games. It wasn't a great, great game, but uh, he was a solid player. I think, you know, I think he's going to be a draft pick. Uh, I'm not sure how high he'll be. You know, I thought the Alexander kid from St. Mike's played really well in that game. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I thought he was probably the best player in that game. So, um, but you know, the Temperbird kid is certainly a guy that NHL teams. I mean, there was probably 20, 25 teams at that that All Star game in Oakville that night. So, there's lots of interest from around the NHL, and uh, you know, I think he's a draft, and we'll see as the season goes on how he develops. Uh, you know, whether he jumps up the draft list or not. Yeah, I th- I'm surprised you didn't come say hi to me, Mark. Should I be offended? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I got the work boots on when but, I go to uh, those guys. I got the work boots on. Yeah, 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 for sure. That uh, uh, what I one thing I'll say is that that prospect game was probably there were probably more scouts at that prospect game than there were at the actual All Star game, which I thought was kind of interesting. I guess it makes sense just because uh, the the younger age and the opportunity to to get a look at uh, some of these guys before they're kind of locked into OJHL stuff. And uh, but yeah. So, yeah, I'm just glad to, uh, to have gotten your chance. Uh, I think James is uh, another question he wants to ask you about the actual national junior squad. Sure. Well, the other question I had, Mark, before we jump into, I guess, how far the squad will go and what's going to happen overall is uh, a player that's not on the list, not on the team, but is affiliated with one of the coaches and the brain trust of the squad, and that is Ryan Merkley, a guy that was traded for, obviously, high offense, but really doesn't have a whole lot of mind for his own defensive end and obviously his antics and problems off the ice may have left him off the squad. I'm wondering what you're hearing of why Ryan Merkley wasn't invited, and also is it the reasons that I'm touching on, or is there a bigger issue with this player that we don't know about and we're not aware of? Well, I think Ryan Merkley's biggest problem throughout his career has been Ryan Merkley. You know, I'll be honest, there was a lot of talk around the league and <laughs> you know around national league teams as to whether the Hunters would bring him. Obviously, he's playing in London for them. So if you don't bring him, it creates a pretty awkward conversation. Uh, one of the carrots they've used with Ryan throughout the, this year has been, you know, do what we say, become coachable, uh, start to play a little bit of defense, and, and certainly the world juniors are a possibility. So now that's out the window, obviously. So, you know, I think it was a tough case. I just think Ryan's history is such that, you know, obviously from a skill standpoint, it deserves to be there. He's, he's got phenomenal skill. Um, creates offense where there is none and, and really does a great job of that. But, you know, I think Ryan's had some unfortunate experiences with Hockey Canada over the years. And I think when you're going to the Czech Republic, I think what it probably came down to was Hockey Canada and the Hunters just not being sure that, you know, something doesn't happen in, in the Czech Republic, whereas he, you know, he decides to go off and, and do his own thing in terms of on the ice and not follow the structure, um, you know, whether there's any issues with teammates, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think it was a real tough decision for the Hunters. I think, you know, it, I was shocked. I thought they would bring him. I mean, even if they end up not bringing him to Czech Republic, I thought they would bring him to the main camp and kind of let him go there and see. Um, but you know what? Good for them. I mean, they've done, they've kind of put their country ahead of their team, which I think a lot of people question whether those guys would do that. Um, so I, I think it was a tough choice for them and from a skill standpoint, for sure. But I just think Ryan's history, you know, with, with the teams he's been on and the incidents in Wilton, the incidents in Peterborough and stuff like that are, are such that, it's made it tough to trust that, you know, he's going to be able to buy into that team structure, that team concept in a, in a short tournament in the Czech Republic. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, the hunters uh, did what they thought was best and, and it's unfortunate for Ryan and hopefully he's a learning experience, but um, you know, he has nobody really to blame, but himself. Definitely Doug. What do you think about Ryan Merkley? Well, this is i uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this is another kid that's got uh, OGHL experience. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, the last thing you want on a team that's going to be as short lived as a, like a world junior squad is, is any kind of, uh, off ice difficulties, uh, and, and just kind of chemistry difficulties dress. You, you don't want any of that. That's just stuff you don't want in, in and around your hockey team. So 
I don't want to. I don't want to say anything other than that. Um, I'm excited to see all the players uh, coming up this week, and he's he's one of them, and he certainly uh, has has the has the skills and tools available uh, that that he's a potential member of the squad. I'll say that much, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to I I don't want to speak too much more about uh, uh, about just. That kind of stuff. You like I said, you want to avoid any kind of uh, like if you have any kind of off ice issue, any kind of attitude issue. That's just you don't you don't want that. So uh, yeah, that's that's what I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> For sure. Well, I think just one thing I'd like to add, guys, and and uh, it's a good point. I you know all the year in London, I don't I haven't heard of one issue there. So I think you know he deserves some credit for that. Certainly he's. You know, it takes certainly if you look back at me when I was 19 years old, I didn't always make great decisions or 17 or 16. So, you know, I, I think this year there hasn't been any instance in London. So I think that's a credit to him um, and certainly, you know, wanting to buy in. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think maybe he's starting to figure it out a little bit and grow a little bit and, and become a prospect for San Jose. But, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, I think the Hunters just in hockey can decide, you know what, we've got enough of a back end here, um, you know, that we can afford to uh, to not bring him and not take the risk of, of maybe some of his past transgressions kind of catching up to him. I mean, a, a camp, a camp like this is an opportunity for a guy like that to show uh, signs of growth and maturity. The question is, uh, do the guys running the national junior squad see the risks as outweighing the benefits, or vice versa? So I can't. We're not. I don't think any of us are in a position to judge that because we just we don't know the kid personally. And uh, I certainly wouldn't discount him from the team be, uh, on that basis alone. It's going to come down to uh, a balancing act. And like I said, if he's able to show. I'll agree. If he's able to show some kind of growth or maturity, that can uh, that'll factor heavily in his favor. So, yeah. I look at it right now with the Hunters and playing in London and not being selected for this team. This is probably this kid's last chance. So this is where you got to keep your nose clean and do everything properly. Saying that he hasn't had any incidents in London this year, um, that shouldn't be just you know the bare minimum. That should be what it is. You should be held to a certain standard and. Doug, deck what you said. I'm not judging the guy because I don't know him at all. But the stuff that you hear, I mean, come on now. You got to keep yourself clean. You got to keep yourself to where you need to be. And you got to keep your team and your teammates in mind all the time. And I think going over to the Czech Republic, being far away, and like you said, Mark, being rogue and doing his own thing is a huge possibility. It's not something they want to risk. So I'm kind of happy he's not there because it would be a sideshow for Canada. And there is a lot of talent going into this squad. So I'm going to ask the question point blank to you and Mark. Is this team going to go as far as Nico Dawes is going to take them? Because I think he's going to be the starting goaltender for this team. I'm wondering if it's going to be the strength of goaltending or is it going to be the defense or are we going to be heavily offensive? I think it's going to be on the strength of the goaltender. Well, I'm going to disagree with you. I think Oliver Rodriguez will be the starter, and I think, uh, yeah, it'll it will depend a lot on how he plays and how they play defensively. Um, you know, I think it, this tournament is not like it used to be 15 years ago. Uh, there are a lot of competitive countries, obviously Russia, the Americans, the Swedes, the Finns. So, you know, it's not like Canada can go into these tournaments anymore and be the heavy favorite. You just can't do it. You know, certainly if they had gotten some of those kids from the National League of the Hayden and and uh, Dobson and docked and I think you know Valeno. that changes things but uh, I think they're going to get Valeno I think that's going to be I don't think that's a problem I think they'll have him I think he'll center that first line but um, you know I think you're right I think it'll come down to the goaltending which it generally does for tournaments overseas it's it's a tough goal over there um, you got a whole bunch of factors they 
you know, a lot of these teams don't go through when they're in North America. So it'll be tough. Uh, are they going to win the gold? You know what? I, I'm going to probably say no. It's, it's, I'm not even sure the last time Canada won gold over in Europe. It's, it's been a long time. I think losing those three NHL guys makes a big difference to them, but they will certainly be competitive. They'll be in the medal round and, you know, it'll come down to, like you say, a goaltending performance in the semis and then potentially in the finals. Uh, one thing I'll say is the the only thing uh, more unpredictable than a bunch of junior age hockey players is a, basically an all star team made up of a bunch of junior A hockey players. <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm excited, and it's it's always fun watching them. And I think that we certainly have the players available to us to make a, a decent run at the tournament. So that's that's all you can really ask for. And Mark, I'm going to take you up on a on a bet there for the goaltenders. Okay, we'll bet lunch. How's that? <laughs> I'll take you out to lunch. Not a problem. I'm usually out to lunch myself <laughs> anyway, so it's not hard to take somebody there. <laughs> the only the only other thing I was going to say, guys, is there's two names you have to remember in this tournament, which I think are going to play a big part, and that's the Askarov kid, the Russian goaltender, who we've got three on our list overall behind Byfield and uh, Lafreniere. I think this kid is, is the real deal. I really do, and I think Spencer Knight for the American um, you know, you talk about in these tournaments where goaltenders can steal games and when you get into the medal round can, can really do things. We saw what Askarov did last year in the under-18. Um, so I think those are two yeah. goalies that are clearly the best two goalies in this tournament. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to be troublesome for uh, whoever has to play them in the medal round. And, and don't be surprised if they become big factors as we get in uh, near the semis and the finals. Yeah, I think Spencer Knight's going to be a huge thing for the Florida Panthers going forward. I do believe they're a team that drafted him, so... I know you have, um, what is it, Bobrovsky there, I think it is. But, yes, I do agree with Spencer Knight. He's a he's a, a blue chipper for sure. Um, I don't know much about the Russian gentleman you're speaking of, but I will take your consensus for the number three. Um, Doug, do you have anything to add, my friend? Uh, I'll just throw out the stats on Spencer Knight for those who don't know. Uh, this is He's got a, a .94 save percentage and a goals against average of 1.73 in the NCAA this year with, with uh, Boston College. Those are some ridiculous numbers, and I think they're worth mentioning. Well, Mark, we definitely want to have you back on when the tournament is a little bit getting closer to the gold medal rounds, but I always want to say thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're super busy, but this is awesome to talk World Juniors, Juniors Fever Part 2, and talk a little bit of Maple Leafs as well. So thank you so much for lending your time to us tonight. Well, listen, thanks for having me on. I, I enjoy it. I always do come on with you guys. I certainly enjoy the podcast. I think you guys are doing a great job. And, yeah, I'm happy to come on whenever, whenever you want. It's closer to the gold medal game, whatever you need. I'm, I'm a fan of you guys. So uh, whenever, you, whenever you need something, by all means, uh, just get in touch with me. Oh, you're the best, Mark. Thank you very much. Super appreciate it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is Offside Hockey Talk for this week. Obviously, check out the podcast. Make sure you're following along with Mark Sardell for all updates on junior players. Follow the one and only voice of the OJ, Doug J. Ireland, and be sure to check out Offside Talk each and every week. we got some great contests going on like this week right now. We are partnered up with the store next door from Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and they are giving away a beautiful hockey-themed coat rack to a listener of the Offside podcast. So be sure to get yourself in for that. And again, huge shout-out to Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation for all their support this season. If you need your home spray foamed, Check out msfi.ca today. But that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Have yourself a great night.